coming up. So as an early intervention speech therapist, what ages do you start looking for signs that maybe there could be a potential speech delay or speech issue? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so usually when families come to me, some I think the youngest I've had is 16 months old, 17 months old, around that time, if there's no words at all, or even at 15 months old, if you notice they don't have any words at all, um, that's, you know, definitely a sign of, you know, maybe something's going on. Um, Usually around 12 months old is when true words start forming. So around 12 months old ish, you see between one to five words. Um, And then, you know, by 15 months old, um, you see a little bit more than five words. And then 18 months old, it's between, um, it's between 10 to 50 words. So usually I go by milestone to average um, versus only telling the families, you know, the average number of words. Um, And then by two years old, that's when children start to combine words to two word phrases. So if maybe you have a 24 month old, and they're not, you know, saying many words, they're using more gestures, they're really frustrated. um, They're only saying like, less than 50 words, less than 30 words. And that's, you know, it could be something uh, of a sign for maybe they may need benefit from speech therapy. Um, or maybe if they're not understanding, you know, certain directions or responding to their name is a big one. If they're not responding to their name, um, you know, early on, I think they start, babies start to notice their name, I think by around like nine months old, if I'm not mistaken. We want to invite you to the first annual Munch Bunch Wellness and Rejuvenation Retreat in the Dominican Republic, November 9th through the 12th, 2023. It will be an all-inclusive retreat meant to refuel you, give you a chance to rest, relax, and network with others in our Munch Bunch family. We will also be talking about ways to get out of your own way so you can live your dreams, build your business, and do what you need to do. So check it out. The link is in the description, and the dates are November 9th through the 12th. Hi, everybody. Welcome to the Munch Bunch podcast. It's Kimi Nishimoto and Megan Vanoy. Hello. And today we have Grace Bernales. Uh, You might know her from Instagram, Graceful Expressions. And she has a lot of amazing content about early signs of speech issues and speech issues that come with different ages and stages of life. So if you haven't checked her out, she's a really awesome speech resource, um, as well as having like amazing hair. So she's got that going for her too. For today. Well, thank you guys for having me on here. I really appreciate it. I feel honored to be yeah. on the podcast. So thank you. Yes, I got to meet Grace out in California when I went out there to um, help a doctor do some of her first like older kid tongue tie release and adult tongue tie release. And so I got to meet Grace during that time period. So I told her she just had to come on the pod. (laughs) Well, thank you. It was so nice to meet you in person. Yeah. All right, Grace. So what we're going to do is pull our affirmator, which is like our positivity message for the week. Okay. And um, so you get to pick the card as our special guest. Okay. Oh, awesome. Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Kimmy, you got your cards? All righty here. So you just tell me when, okay? All right. Um, When? Okay. (laughs) Felt right. Felt right. (laughs) Oh, that one's cute. 
Okay, there's a, like a little dinosaur on top of a tank. It says Tankosaurus. Oh, is that the power one? Yeah. <laughs> Love power. It. Our Munchy Monday affirmator for the week is power. I am strong. I am grounded. I am powerful. I am like a cross between a dinosaur and a tank, but not a tank that's used for war. I'm like a peaceful, loving dino tank who feels so strong. It doesn't need to do anything but be. I love that. (laughs) That sounds like Isabel. She would love to be a dino tank. (laughs) (laughs) It's funny. I just had a client right now. We were playing dinosaurs like the whole time. So it's funny that you chose that one. (laughs) Yeah, Izzy has, I actually, I think I sent it to you, didn't I, Kimmy? Yeah. Izzy has kind of this, it's so creepy, but it's, gosh, it's probably like a foot tall, like dinosaur um, toy, and it's kind of like squishy, but it looks like real life, and then she was eating it crackers. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, so she was literally feeding, I'll show it on the screen. I know you guys, if you're listeners, you can't hear it, but like she was. That's a good sized dinosaur. <laughs> yeah, it really truly is. And the other is like the little cracker in its mouth. Like, <laughs> it's so cute. <laughs> I was like, what are you doing? And she just turns and she starts laughing. Like, oh, cute. <laughs> oh, so we love dinosaurs around here. So you must you know. know all the dinosaur names then. Starting to learn them because she's only two and a quarter. So she's not really oh, into okay. the names yet, but she's yeah. definitely into the sound. So long. <laughs> a lot of long dinosaur names. Uh-huh. And she likes the feet prints. Like she likes how they all have different mm-hmm. feet prints. Oh, so. cute. Yeah. yeah. As long as you're a good millennial mom and they know the the land before time oh, dinosaur yeah. names, the long yeah. neck and the three horn, you know, that's oh. all you got to do. <laughs> I love that movie with little oh. fight. <laughs> Yeah, we were Triceratops for Halloween. So like we're we're all in on the dinosaur. We had a we had a two Rex themed birthday party. We're all in on the dinosaur. So <laughs> it's so funny because when we talk about like therapies and physical therapy and functional therapy, and so often I think we feel like everything has to be super, super formal. And I know I do this a lot. Like we do a lot of Legos on my sessions. I know Kimmy does this a lot. Um, and it sounds like you do too, so much through play. Yeah, definitely. I mean, especially working with the, you know, younger age group or even the older kids. I actually had an older one the other day, like 12, and he was so happy to just play games. But yeah, it's very play based, you know, and I tell parents too from the very beginning, whenever we do speech therapy, because oftentimes parents do think, you know, sometimes think like, okay, we'll do flashcards, we'll do like super structured activities, which which is not which it's um, not a structured activity you know I kind of follow the child's lead I use like toys but still address the goals that we're working on so if I have a little one where maybe we're working on the word um, open I'll have like eggs and we'll work use that to target open if I have a little one and we're working on a specific sound like maybe an R I'll get some toys that maybe have some R words in them or I'll even just do something like ready set go so it's very play-based very fun um, you know, I want to make sure the client wants to wants to come to my sessions versus them, you know, feeling the pressure of, well, you have to do this, do this and this. So, yes, it's I emphasize a lot on the play based aspect for speech therapy. Mm-hmm. I like to do uh, use my little puppet, my mm-hmm. little tongue puppet. Yeah. And uh, if I have a little kid and we're practicing swallowing without using the facial muscles, mm-hmm. I'll watch them. And then if 
I see their face moves and I go, I saw your face. Oh, move. I love that idea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I do, I feel like so much is learned through play and through fun. I think there's like numbers on it, right? Like if you do a certain amount of reps, you have to do this many reps, but if you do it through play, it's like significantly less. Mm-hmm. that statistic but yeah, yeah. So, you know I think that's so fun and I think letting parents have fun at home as they work on these things too almost feels less stressful they feel less pressure mm-hmm. you know that like pressure to be a perfect parent all the time um yeah. you know can relate right especially because like I have a little myo baby who loves her pacifier right um, yeah sorry. <laughs> right and so Knowing what I know, knowing what we need to do, but also like being also a very tender mommy, never wanting my child to like cry about anything, right? Like- <laughs> yeah, of course. Totally. And then I feel like too, when I start out with the sessions, oftentimes like, oh, so, okay, so what, what do I need to buy for my child to work on speech? I'm like, you know, what's great about speech is it's everywhere. You don't have, you don't necessarily have to buy toys. You yourself are great for working on speech stuff. While you're eating, you can do that while you're walking outside, while you're in the car. So that's also something I like to emphasize to families is you don't need to buy toys or all these like fancy materials for speech, really. I think there was a a time where we were just using leaves outside because the kid loved it so much. So so that's definitely something that I like to um, emphasize to families. Mm -hmm. So as an early intervention speech therapist, what ages do you start looking for signs that maybe there could be a potential speech delay or speech issue? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so usually when families come to me, some I think the youngest I've had is 16 months old, 17 months old around that time, if there's no words at all, or even at 15 months old, if you notice they don't have any words at all. Um, that's, you know, definitely a sign of, you know, maybe something's going on. Um, usually around 12 months old is when true words start forming. So around 12 months old-ish, you see between one to five words. Um, and then, you know, by 15 months old, um, you see a little bit more than five words. And then 18 months old, it's between, um, it's between 10 to 50 words. So usually I go by milestone to average um, versus only telling the families, you know, the average number of words. Um and then by two years old, that's when children start to combine words too, two word phrases. So if maybe you have a 24 month old and they're not, you know, saying many words, they're using more gestures, they're really frustrated, um, they're only saying like less than 50 words, less than 20, 30 words, and that's, you know, it could be something uh, of a sign for maybe they may need benefit from speech therapy. Um, or maybe if they're not understanding, you know, certain directions or responding to their name is a big one. If they're not responding to their name, um, you know, early on, I think they start, babies start to notice their name, I think by around like nine months old, if I'm not mistaken. So mm-hmm. uh, they can definitely, you know, learn early on as far as responding to their name. So those are a few of the things that I, I look at. Mm-hmm. What I love about your Instagram page, too, is you have so many things like I think it gives people hope because you're like babbling is a form of like Mm -hmm. speech. So can you talk to us a little bit about babbling and babies? Yeah. So babies usually start, well, babies start to make sounds around like three months old, if not earlier, you know, crying is obviously a form of communication. Um, Cooing is a form of communication. Even just like looking at you is a form of communication. So oftentimes 
families will tell me, oh, they're not communicating at all. It's like, well, is your baby kind of, you know, making eye contact with you? Are they doing like some back and forth play, you know, as a baby, you know, maybe you'll do like tickles, you'll try to do peekaboo. If they're doing that back and forth, you know, that's a way that they're communicating with you. Um, and then babbling, you know, babbling will start around, if I'm not mistaken, mm, maybe like five to seven months old, they'll start babbling. So you might might hear like mama, mama, ba 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 da 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 da. Um, mm-hmm. And then after those reduplicated babbling, you hear a lot of um, the variegated babbling and ba da ga ba da, like different consonants. Mm. Uh, my sister Midori, she just started making homemade tortillas. Mm-hmm. And she gave it to her baby who I think was like seven months old at the time. And it just happened to be that like that week he started saying mama. So Aww. we were joking, like he, she sent us a video of, of her, her giving her homemade tortilla to the baby. And he goes, mama, mama, mama. We're like, no. <laughs> homemade tortilla is so good. You're like making your baby learn to speak. Like, <laughs> yeah. And that's really, really love tortillas. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> so at what age is it pretty encouraged to send a kid to speech therapy to check for speech delay? Yeah, you know, that's, there's different answers for that. You know, I've had times where, I mean, in, I would say on average, the youngest a child will often get speech therapy is maybe like 16, 17 months old. Um, it's very rare for a kid to start earlier. I think the youngest one I had was 14 months old. That's because the parent was, you know, really advocating for their child. And she was extremely concerned. You know, this child was not following any directions, was very severe. Um, you know, I think mom was worried that the child may have autism. So off, sometimes for those kids, um, then, you you know, sometimes we may start earlier. Um, it's hard to really give us that age, but I would say Average, maybe I would say 16 to 17 months, um, but on rare occasions, maybe start off younger if you see that there's a lot of um, maybe global delays, you know, kids with maybe other syndromes. I think I had one, I forgot what the disorder was called, but she was really little, maybe 13, 14 months old. She had a syndrome where she was kind of going backwards. So she was not able to, she was starting to lose words. She wasn't able to eat as well. I forgot the name of it. It was really sad. So I think for those cases, and that's when it's really important to get started early. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's so interesting. I mean, you know, it is such a small population, but it's like you don't realize all the different things that can that can happen. It's definitely a lot of different clients I've seen <laughs> over the years. Do you work a lot with the special needs population too? Um, I have had a lot of uh, special needs uh, children that I work with. So like cerebral palsy, um, autism is one of the main ones I worked with. Um, before speech, I did behavioral therapy. So I worked a lot with uh, autistic kids. Um, and then Down syndrome as well. I've had some, um, not as of late, but um, in the past, I did work a lot with special needs too. Mm. And you also uh, work with kids that are on the spectrum too, right? The autism mm-hmm. spectrum. Yes. Yeah. What are common speech issues with kids on the spectrum? Yeah, well, with kids on the spectrum, you know, every child is different. Um, You know, one may present in a certain way. The other one may have different um, speech needs. But, you know, a few would be maybe children who 
used to say a lot of words, but then they lost it. That's one of the common ones that I've noticed where maybe they were saying words up to like 15 months old. And after they turned a certain age, they lost it. And they only said like one word at a time or maybe no words and more of um, more of like, like gibberish. So that's one of them um, or even children who, um, you know, socially they're not able to, you know, they don't realize they don't have that back and forth communication with you. They're not, you know, learning how to, you know, greet people. Maybe the child has difficulty with, um, you know, turn taking. Um, maybe they're having a difficult time with um, just saying words out loud that they have to use like a communication device or use pictures to communicate mm-hmm. or um, more of sign language too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Obviously we know different because we're specialists, but when we're thinking about what speech therapy is, like as a general mm-hmm. population, you just think, oh, you're just learning like how to say words, right? You just have yeah. a lens where you just can't say your R's or right. Right? there's so much more to quote unquote speech therapy than just saying words. So mm-hmm. what are like, you've already kind of talked about this a little bit, but what are some of the different kind of specialties? Yeah, there's definitely a lot out there. And what you said is what a lot of people think we do do. Um, so yeah, you know, doing feeding, feeding therapy is one of them for those who want to specialize in feeding, um, swallowing, specifically swallowing and, you know, the hospitals, um, you know, working with stroke patients is one. We do a lot of, um, for those who work with adults, especially in the hospital, don't pe- a lot of people don't realize we also work on cognition. So cognition, working on memory, um, you know, working on, of course, communicating back and forth, conversational skills, even reading comprehension. Um, there's also SLPs who work in prison who are working with individuals who need speech therapy, but they happen to be in prison. Um, and then, of course, in the schools, there's SLPs that work there. Um, yeah, I mean, there's really a lot. I feel like I'm forgetting a lot of things right now. But there's a long list of them, you know, and there's uh, SLPs who work with actors also who do maybe these actors want a role where they have a certain accent that they need. So accent um, as well as one of them. Um yeah, I mean, cognition, I would say, and swallowing and feeding and then speaking are the main, I would say, the main categories. So, and a lot of people don't realize we also work on cognition aspect for speech. Mm. Um, isn't there a, f- a form of speech therapy that also teaches you how to breathe? Like, for example, if your epiglottis like is voice. clogging your, your airway, essentially? Yes. Yeah, so... Um, you just remind me there's voice as well, you know, people with voice disorders. So they have to work on respiration and breathing. There is that. Thank you for reminding me that that's a big one. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's that as well. Um, and then, you know, SOPs who work with individuals who have hearing disorders, maybe they're hard of hearing or deaf. Um, there's a, a lot of SOPs that also work in that category as well. Mm-hmm. So interesting. We want to introduce this Thought for Tots course, a parent's guide for toddlers ages 2 to 5 for Mini-Mayo. We have Megan and Kimmy going over nasal hygiene, myofunctional exercises, breathing exercises, tongue-tie healing protocols, and then we have Jenny June going over sleep hygiene and Kelsey Baker going over feeding therapy and body work. 
Uh, the course is $2.97 and the link will be in the description. Um, and at what point in your schooling did you guys branch off and specialize into whatever you were interested in? Was it in schooling or was it after school? And then mm -hmm. you just kind of pick the niche that you want. Well, some people who already knew they wanted to work in the hospital, they were able to do that in the graduate program. So they were able to intern in the medical setting and then some, you know, could be in the school or, or in a private practice, or you're able to do all of them. So we're not really forced to, I guess, choose, but mm -hmm. for those, especially that I know that wanted to be in the medical field, they for sure wanted um, an internship in the hospital. I kind of regret not doing that. I mean, I, I didn't know if I wanted to be in the medical field or not, but I feel like that would have helped me too, just to expand more of my scope of practice. Um, but I did know I always wanted to work with kids. So that's kind of why I lean more towards like interning at the school district where um, I went to in Washington. Um, so doing that. And then after school, um, we are required to do a clinical fellowship. And that's about nine months. And that's where we choose a certain setting. And normally, I think most of the time when people choose where their clinical fellowship is, that's a lot of the times the um, population or setting that they want to be in. So that's kind of when I chose. I knew I wanted to be in kind of a clinic type setting with kids. Uh, so that's where I started off. And then how did you get into the Mayo part of things? That's a good question. Um, you know, in um, the SLP field, I don't know if you guys are aware of it, but tongue ties have always been so controversial. And, you know, Us too. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> you're right. It's everywhere. It's not just speech, but I just feel like with speech, it's just extra controversial. And I just remember being a new clinician and just kind of hearing about tongue ties. And then a lot of, you know, people I knew would just kind of brush it off like, oh, what? There's no such thing as posterior tongue tie. And, you know, whatever the case may be, or somebody would mention like, yeah, did you hear she's like a myofunctional therapist? I'm like, oh, what's that? So, you know, I've always heard it over time. Um, and then I actually did work for a myofunctional therapist um, a couple years ago. I was doing more speech, but she was a myofunctional therapist. So she, I would kind of see it on the side, like what she was doing, but it was, I wasn't able to really watch her sessions or anything. Um, so I kind of just looked into it and I also wanted something um, that I can help others in a different way in addition to speech. And I feel like doing myofunctional therapy or learning about it was like the missing picture for mm -hmm. all my articulation clients. Like it's, it's crazy. I feel like every time I have a new articulation client, I'll tell parents like, well, can I assess them structurally just to see what else is going on? And like, and bam, you know, they have like a high palate, there's maybe a tongue tie, they have some malocclusion, maybe they had like some oral habits. So I just feel like it was all connected. And I just feel like graduate schools should start unless they already have I'm not sure I feel like graduate schools should start implementing us to learn more about myofunctional therapy. Yeah, because sometimes it's the structural like if the palate has a really high arch, or if there's any malformation of the roof of the mouth, that mm -hmm. can make it hard for the tongue to reach, but also it can make right. it hard for the tongue to reach if there's like that tongue tie that holds it down in the bottom. So maybe mm -hmm. the sides of the tongue or the back of the tongue has a hard time reaching. Exactly, which is oftentimes for like the R sound. You know, I have a lot of mm -hmm. kids where they can't do an R sound or they've been doing speech therapy for their R for years, but nothing's working until mm -hmm. you really look structurally and see, yeah, there is tongue restriction or their and or their palate, like you said, it was high. 
So, and for the arts, we have to raise our tongue up to touch the palate. And if they can't do that, then you won't be able to get that good R sound. Mm -hmm. So with the R sound, like, why is it so hard? That's like almost the number one (laughs) issue is R's and L's and then S's and T's. Um, So when I'm doing my assessments, even though I don't do speech, I do ask about the speech issues and the speech Mm -hmm. history. And those are always the ones that comes up. R's, L's. That's that's awesome. That's so big. That's amazing. It's great, but I have so many kids that stretch it. I'm like, don't break it. (laughs) Um. Anyway, yeah. So especially for the R, one of one of the reasons why that's so hard to produce is one you can you can't really see what's going on versus you know doing like M the B P sound. You obviously a person lips moving, but with the R, it's like so far in the back. You really have to, you know for me to do it on here but you really have to put that tongue up and back and if there's restriction and they're not able to even you know touch the roof of their mouth then it's really going to be difficult um, in addition to not being able to see that visually for the client um and so i often use a mouth model and then for those l the th sound the s you know we do especially for the l we need that good tongue elevation so if they're not able to elevate it to the spot and they're really restricted, then, you know, either they're going to compensate and barely open their mouth, or they're maybe going to produce a W, which you you do hear a lot of kids do. Same with the R will be a W. Um, and then for the TH, or if there's a list, if there's not enough space for the tongue to rest um, in the roof of the mouth and the palate, then their tongue's going to be out for those sounds as well. So like the S will be like sun for sun um, and things like that. So yeah, so it's just crazy how much it's all related. And I wish I learned about this sooner, but mm-hmm. it's okay, better late than never. <laughs> yeah, that's so true. I mean, I think that's a lot of people, right? Like we had Dr. Brett on um, our podcast. Gosh, it's been a few months now. And when he finished his orthodontic residency is when they were still taking premolars out for braces. And that's what he did. And when he learned that that is actually creating smaller space and more issues with alignment, jaws, sleep apnea, you know, all the myo things that we discuss, he not, A, not only stopped doing it, he B, went back to those cases to bring that expansion back. And, you know, if you want to learn more about what he did, you guys can go listen to that episode. But when we know better, we do better. It's always better late than never. Absolutely. I actually got a bunch of teeth removed when I was younger, and I wish they expanded it instead, but it's okay. <laughs> you and I, I think we talked about that. We're yeah. like really similar. Now, do you have a tongue tie and like, are you thinking about I getting yours like, addressed? Uh, yes. I'm just, it's just funny. Cause I tell my clients like, yeah, you know, you could definitely benefit from a tongue tie replacement. I'm like so scared myself to do it. Um, but I feel like, I mean, I haven't formally gotten it assessed, but just, you know, I mean, I've kind of done a few things myself, but I definitely do feel like I have some tongue restriction. I've been getting a lot of tension lately in my neck. Um, and you know, I do have a clicking sound when I open my mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes I do get tired of chewing. I I don't snore. Um, My husband said only if I'm like really, 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 really tired, but it's very rare that I snore. Um, I don't mouth breathe or anything. Um, 
But I feel like what bothers me is like the tension in my shoulder, my mm -hmm. neck. Um, I do have a mild form of scoliosis. It's very mild. So I don't know. Mm -hmm. if I think that's all very much related to. But I do want to get it addressed. I just don't know when I guess because then I feel like I won't be able to do much therapy with my client or maybe I can I don't know I know you got yours done right Kimmy mm -hmm. we both did oh you um, did Megan yep I was pregnant and couldn't even like take medication to manage so and oh I God. yeah because I'm insane so like Kimmy and I are both crazy so like don't follow our stories um but wow. I did get mine done when I was pregnant during the second trimester didn't take any medication and then I started seeing my patients again after about six or seven days. So Okay, so not too long after. And I worked like a, a weekend into it, so it wasn't like I had to take so much time off. But that's okay. – I knew I needed one probably for about a year, maybe a year and a half before. And I kind of was in the same struggle as you of like, but I have all these patients and I have to work and I have to do these things. Like, what am I going to do? Yeah. So when I got pregnant, I was like, okay, well, now we're on a time crunch because I need to get this done before I have this baby. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, wow. Um, okay, well, that's not too bad. What about you, Kimmy? How long did you take time, or did you take time off? <laughs> uh, mine was really deep into the muscle. Like, they oh. really had to cut inside my geniaglossus quite a lot. So I had really severe pain. So, like, mine is a weird one where, like, it's not usually that bad. But I had a speech impediment for two weeks until the oh. little hole closed up. So, um my sister told me that I sounded like an immigrant, like someone who didn't speak English that just learned because like my tongue couldn't move well. Yeah. Um, and I did have a lot of pain. I went back to dental hygiene, but I don't think I could have done Mayo for probably like two weeks, like being oh, honest. Wow. But everybody's different. And I've never had any of my clients that have had the same problem. So I think mine was just in there yes there's the fascia and we focus and obsess on the little string and that the thin mm -hmm. tissue we see right in front right but a lot of it is like the fascia that's globbed up either underneath that tissue or wrapped around and grabbed inside of all those muscles underneath and inside the tongue so sometimes the surgeon will need to go in and separate that fascia that's wrapped around the muscles. And then in yeah. some cases release some of those muscle fibers so then they can get that range of motion. So everyone's a little bit different, but I would say mine is probably not typical. I've never had anyone else had this problem. Yeah. Not that my doctor wasn't amazing. He was awesome. It changed my life. I would do it again, but it was like kind of the weird one. Yeah. Out of like 500 patients, that I have seen maybe more, maybe less have never had the Kimmy experience. So wow, okay. I've had maybe three people, I can four people off the top of my head who had like a little bit of like complications and they usually had something around that to where we were expecting mm -hmm. something. So it was kind of as expected. Yeah. It's not like what they had going on. So like for me, Mine was fascia mucosa. I didn't have to go into the genioglossus. And I did have like a little bit of a lisp while it was um, swollen for maybe a few days. But okay. once the swelling went down, it resolved pretty quickly. I think once the sutures came out and the swelling went down, it resolved on its own. Okay. I mean, I definitely want to. I just, I guess it's just a matter of when. I just feel like I would feel so much better. I wouldn't have any tension. Um, mm -hmm. You know, sometimes I do clench my jaw, but I'm trying to be more aware of that. Um, mm -hmm. And I've been also seeing a chiropractor for the first time ever for the past couple months, which has helped. So 
Awesome. Yeah. I had, I would get daily headaches in this occipital area. And so that was, that was the number, that was the first thing that melted away for me. That's awesome. Mm. Yeah. I used to have really severe TMJ pain. And even though I think there's something weird in my TMJ, just from how they did my braces, I feel like there might be some uh, flattening of the condyles happening in there. It doesn't hurt and it used to hurt a lot. So for that reason, it's worth it, right? How much money do people spend on Botox to help with the pain in their jaw or the pain in the back of their head or for migraines? I've had a lot of clients that their migraines either reduced or went down or went away. I've had like, I think I've had four patients now where their migraines went away. Wow, that's amazing. Which is beautiful, right? Yeah. So, yeah. If you ever want to, Dr. Bethany. I know, I know. I told her, I'm like, yeah, I'll let you do. Just, you know, give me some time (laughs) for me to hold my hand. (laughs) I don't know. I'm just so like, well, when I was able to observe yours, um, Kimmy, it was great to see. I was actually expecting a lot more blood, but there was like no bleeding at all. It was crazy. Yeah, that's the beauty of the lasers. It's little to no bleeding. If there were scissors and sutures, like there's some bleeding just because it's not cauterizing. But Mm -hmm. it's not as bad as it sounds like it sounds disgusting, but it's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And I had scissors and sutures and I still didn't have a lot of bleeding. So when you prepare when you prepare properly, and when you do what you're supposed to do, Mm -hmm. um, there tends to not be those issues um, that we, you know, that people are concerned about. Yeah. You guys know whenever I decide to, I just, yeah, I've been thinking about it for the past year. I just don't know when I'm going to do it. Timing's important. It is important. Um, It's very important, especially like, you know, we've had patients who try and do it right before they move or right before they travel or right before they, you know, whatever. And then they're not able to do the wound care the same. They're not able to, you know, maybe have the same access as they would have. So we don't know. We recommend timing is also a a big deal. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I agree. All right. Well, that was awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your information and your message. How can people find you online? And uh, do you have a website? Yeah, sure. And I mean, and thank you again for having me. And as far as people finding me online, you can check out my Instagram. It's gracefulexpression.sop. Um, and then my website is on there too, but you can also go to my website. It's graceful-expression.com. Perfect. I love it. And we will, of course, link that in there. And if you guys want to find us, you can find us at the Munch Bunch podcast. You can also find us individually, Kimmy at Mouth Muscle Memory. You can find me at NWMFT. And then, of course, as you guys know, if you have been listening for a while, you can find us at the Munch Bunch retreat that we are hosting in the Dominican Republic, November 9th through 12th, battling through burnout and helping you build the business of your dreams. So, let us know if you have more questions about that um, and really any questions at all. So thank you again, Grace. We have a special offer for our Munch Bunch listeners to book a virtual consult with Megan. She's offering a discount of $25 off. Just email her Megan at nwmyofunctionaltherapy.com or through her website www.orofacial-myology.com. To book a virtual consult with Kimmy for the $25 off, email her mouthmusclememory at outlook.com or through the website www.mouthmusclememory.com. 